welcome to Inspiration from the Couch. I'm Avery. I'm Jamie. And I'm Lucy. We are psychologists and moms. Join us as we discuss what we've figured out, what we've yet to figure out, and what there's just no figuring out. It's sure to be fun, and you may be inspired along the way. Welcome. So today, we are going to talk a little bit about body size and getting ready for swimsuit season and all of the different feelings that that can kind of bring up because it's springtime. And as temperatures start to rise, we kind of all start to have that marketed to us, at least either you know on TV or with commercials, like getting that swimsuit ready body. So I want to let you know that we're going to structure this episode a little bit differently. I, Avery, this is Avery talking. I'm going to tell you, the listeners, a little bit of my story in the hopes that it might resonate and even maybe inspire you to offer yourself a little more acceptance and compassion this season. Then we'll move into our regular discussion format where Jamie and Lucy and I will discuss self-acceptance around body image especially and touch on some different strategies that may be helpful for you. So as I mentioned, we are going to talk about body size today. So if that's something that's a little sticky for you, you may really like this episode or you may not. You may also choose to skip this one if talk about body size can be a trigger for you. So it's totally up to you. Obviously, just wanted to give you a heads up. So now the very abridged version of my story, which actually begins with me in a swimsuit. I was a kid swimming around in the pool at my local YMCA, and I remember having the thought about how many calories I may have burned swimming and whether or not maybe I could look different in my swimsuit if I didn't eat as much for dinner. And it sticks with me because I think that was the first time, or that's the earliest memory I have at least. How old were you? Eight. Eight. I was eight years old. That was like kind of the earliest memory I have of thinking about body size and thinking about my desire to make my body smaller and this kind of wondering about how I could do that. And so since that time, since I was eight, I have been offered a multitude of options to help me in my quest of making my body smaller. I've tried diet plans with shakes, powders, packaged foods, weight loss medications. I've tried diets that call themselves lifestyles, like low-fat, low-carb, vegan, vegetarian. I've tried coaches, food delivery services, meetings, apps, you name it. I've tried it. So I started my last diet in August of 2020, and it started just like so many before. I bought into the promise that I'd finally found the one that was going to work, This one was going to be different. And so I fell into my typical pattern. I read through all the program literature. I connected with my coach. I bought my food. I bought all the little items and things that were going to help me be successful. And around day three, I was fighting through that mental fog that comes from, you know, not feeding one's body properly. And I simply decided to stop. And this felt like an incredibly rebellious act for me. I hadn't even eaten all the food I'd ordered. I hadn't even made it through the first week. And usually I stick with programs for long enough to lose weight, often buy new clothes before I realize that these aren't sustainable for me. So this was like the first time in my life that I really stood up to diet culture in a real way. And it felt totally groundbreaking for me. As I look back kind of on that change in course, I think that the first step was an invitation by a teacher of mine to shift from a focus of self-improvement to self-compassion to kind of change my mindset from I have to do this to be okay to I am okay just as I am. That felt pretty manageable for me in some areas of my life, like my personality, other things, but my body, to apply that to my body felt like completely radical. 
to really just accept my body the way that it is and really believe that my body didn't have to be smaller to be acceptable, that was just an entirely different way of thinking for me. So I wanted to kind of share that story. One, to kind of talk about just my own experience with diet culture and kind of normalize it. I think a lot of us have similar experiences with diet culture, but also just kind of start our conversation about how diet culture and body acceptance come up. So I'd love to hear from you guys, whether it's personal or with your patients or even families, friends, how does this issue of diet culture, body size, body acceptance, how does that come up for you guys? Avery, we have similar experiences. I think my issues with my body started probably a little bit later, like probably middle school, somewhere in there. But I remember that, I don't know, one summer, I think maybe it was between eighth and ninth grade. I don't know how it happened, but I became actually pretty restrictive Mm. and ate pretty much like nothing but salads. And then I would do this Richard Simmons, like hour and a half long kind of, uh, (laughs) I'm showing my age here. (laughs) Um, But we do that for like, I mean, it was a long cardio workout for like, I don't know, an hour and a half or or longer. And I would do that almost every single day without fail. And I dropped like a bunch of weight. And then as I matured and went through high school, you know, gained some of that weight back. And then college, when I was a freshman, went off to school, ended up losing quite a bit of weight there. And so just had been up and down for a while. And then I think something that really affected me was my pregnancies. I had very difficult pregnancies. It was hard to become pregnant. And then the pregnancy just doesn't agree with my body. And I ended up developing preeclampsia and the amount of swelling from all the fluid that I was retaining, like I just didn't even feel at times, quite honestly, like a human being. Mm. Like I was just very upset with how my body was. And luckily I felt so terrible. I couldn't put that much thought into it. I will say, (laughs) I guess that's the positive spin. But yeah, it's been a lifelong thing for me Mm. um, as well. And, you know, as an adult, I'm not immune to this. I don't have it all figured out. Just a couple of years ago, Robert and the kids and I went on a vacation to Hilton Head, South Carolina with our two really close friends, Megan and Chris. And that was actually a pretty terrible vacation for me because Mm. Megan and Chris and Robert are very physically active. I had kind of fallen off of, you know, engaging in movement for my body. I'd gained some weight and just wasn't feeling like having the physical stamina and endurance as I would have liked. And they were wanting to be in swimsuits and ride bikes down to the beach house, which is like a mile away. And I don't know if you've ever been in South Carolina in the summer, but it's humid as hell and it is hot. And the last thing I wanted to do was be in a swimsuit, riding a bicycle, sweating my ass off, going down to the beach. And I was saying, no, I don't want to do that. I want to catch the shuttle. And Robert kept pushing me Mm -hmm. and pushing me. And he didn't realize, like, I'm having all of this anxiety about this. And I texted my sister and I was just, I just broke down Mm and was crying. And we were staying in the same, like, in a two-bedroom hotel room. And so I'm, like, crying and talking to her, called her. Then Robert came in, you know, and he's trying to be supportive to me. And I'm like, y'all just go. Just go. And 
you know, Megan, as sweet as she is, came in afterwards and she's like, I love you just how you are. Cause she could hear mm-hmm. like all of the just stuff yeah. that was coming out. So that was a really rough experience. And I think since that time, I've really tried to be just more compassionate on where I am because my body is going to do what it's going to do. Yeah. I can't get attached to my body at a particular time and place because I'm aging. Things have happened. It's going to do what it's going to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about for you, Lucy? I feel like I have been a little like vaccinated against some of diet culture in my adult life. I had an eating disorder in college. And so I do feel like through all of that, like work and recovery that I have been in a unique position from the standpoint of like to recover from my eating disorder. I had to learn how to like build a wall from all of that. Yeah. Right. And I had to get really clear for myself that the idea of restricting food or cutting foods out or good foods and bad foods or saying things I couldn't eat things or they weren't legal or dieting. Like I just can't even go there because like my brain has this glitch where I Mm. think I can probably Mm -hmm. get like, it just was horrible. Yeah. Right. And so I think that ended up being a blessing from the standpoint of now when when that talk comes up, I'm pretty clear of like, no thanks. Yep. It just doesn't work. Like I have a very clear sense that this will not work for me. Mm-hmm. Like as an adult though, I think I've had such immense sadness for how pervasive it is and how people don't yeah. even know. Yeah. So I have two daughters, right? And I have wonderful friends and their friends, parents and families are great people. But I kid you not, almost every single time you have a group of women together. And these are educated, bright women who know in some ways. But there is such immense talk around, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, I'm being so bad right now. Like, I can't believe I'm eating this or this is such junk food. Like, it it is insidious. And like, even people who I think would say they don't diet, like still have this talk Mm -hmm. that is very diet culture. And I think there's just been such sadness to me about how it's just everywhere and people don't even know it. And I sit here sometimes and want to like pull my hair out and be like, oh my God, are you listening to yourselves? And I think the really hard thing is that people don't even realize that it's Mm. been been so ingrained. That's right. I completely agree with you. It's almost become white noise, but it's still, it gets out there and our kids hear it too. Well, it trickles down, right? And then I have kids who end up in my office, you know, teenagers, college kids who their whole lives have been fed this belief about how their body needs to look. And then there's such misinformation, right? And you can find research to support any sort of diet Mm -hmm. or eating plan. But this belief, I think the saddest part to me is this how I say it, like we have forgotten that we can trust our bodies. That's right. Right. And that I don't have to have this like external plan or all these rules. Mm -hmm. I can just tune in and like listen to my body and that it will guide me pretty fine. That's right. That's right. So I found some tremendously useful resources that have helped me kind of along this journey. One is a podcast called Maintenance Phase, who I just, I just adore that. Jamie, I think turned me onto that and I adore that. A couple of books. One is The Body is Not an Apology. Another book is The Fuck It Diet, which we actually read and reviewed in a previous episode. But what about you guys? Any resources in addition? We And we'll put these in the show notes as well that have been helpful to you or your patients or friends. Any other resources? There is a woman named Christy Harrison, who is a dietitian, like an intuitive eating dietitian. And she has a podcast called Food Psych. She has a Mm. newsletter she sends out, but she does a beautiful job of debunking a lot of diet culture and diet mentality in like a very scientific way. So if you're someone who likes kind of the science and the studies and wanting to know the research, I think she's a beautiful resource for that. That's great. I pay close attention to when I'm on social media, which isn't a ton, but I pay close attention to who am I 
following? Like what, (laughs) what are these people putting out Mm -hmm. there? And am I following a mix of all different individuals with different body types? And how does viewing their content, how does it make me feel like afterwards? Because that is one thing, you know, that I feel like in this diet culture society that we live in that I have control over. Like I can limit and curate my social media feed and unfollow anybody that I want to unfollow. I don't have to consume that particular content. So that is very helpful to me to be and to see individuals who have similar body types, who are in smaller bodies, larger bodies, all of that just to normalize that our bodies run the gamut mm-hmm. and there's space for everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a conversation I have often with, with clients mm-hmm. is like, what do you find beautiful in other people? Because quite often for themselves, like you have a very narrow range of like what defines beauty and mm-hmm. how one needs to look. And I think we're much more gracious and generous with other people. Mm-hmm. Right. And so how do we redefine like what we consider acceptable? And you're right, Jamie, if we have this range of models that we're seeing, it just makes it easier. Exactly. Exactly. So as I've been kind of reading and listening to all these different experts talk about this issue, there've been a couple of pieces of information that, again, for me specifically, have been incredibly helpful. So one is that the U.S. diet industry is a $70 billion a year industry. $70 billion with a B. The other piece of information that's been incredibly helpful to me is that approximately 95% of people who lose weight gain it back within three years. So the U.S. population is spending tens of billions of dollars every year on weight loss plans that simply do not work. And these statistics really help me to kind of understand two fundamental truths. One is that diet plans, weight loss plans are businesses. Their job is to make money. No matter what they say, they don't really care about my health. They care about my money. And I think that that really helped me to shift from this like health concern to like, no, no, your job is really to make money. And that's okay. There are lots of businesses whose job is to make money, but that was really helpful to me to think about that's the priority there. And then the second fundamental truth is I am not unique in my inability to keep off weight that I have lost on these diet plans. Because almost everyone that has ever lost weight is in the same boat as I am, which is that we lose weight in three years, it's back on or more. Then we go to another diet plan, lose weight, gain it back, that or more. And that this is not a unique Avery Honig problem. This is like just the way people work. So any nuggets, I'll use that word, that have been helpful in either of your quests around this or kind of gathering of information, anything else that stands out to you that you're like, huh, that made me think about it in a different way. I think you'd mentioned the podcast maintenance phase, which I absolutely adore. There is other material out there, probably more, a little bit more for providers to use with their clients. So Beyond the Shadow of a Diet is a really great book that has a lot of research in there about the diet industry. And, you know, I like hearing the history of things to see how things have come about. Like how have we twisted and, uh, you know, adapted these things to fit whatever our mission is. And it's obvious with the diet industry, they have one mission, which is really to make money. 
And I think too, like discovering that statistic and of the 95% failure rate, you know, I wouldn't be spending my money on other things. If it didn't work 95% of the time, I would not continue to go back and purchase, right? Like, I mean, you know, if my, whatever it is, like if it's, you know, going to a grocery store, 95% of the stuff in there is rotten. I'm not going to (laughs) keep going back to that particular Mm -hmm. grocery store. 95% of our flights go down. Yeah. I never take off. Like, right. I'm never flying again. I mean, like just like having that and realizing like that, yes, that that piece of I am not alone in this. It is not a personal failure that I have not been able to get to a specific, you know, goal weight Hmm. has been very, very helpful for me. That's been some of the like informational things that I've found Mm -hmm. really helpful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then what keeps people coming back, do you think? I think it's two things. I think that there is this message that you must be smaller to be acceptable. Like you're not okay. You're not okay. And here's a new different, you know, we've shined this up and made it look different. This is the one that's going to work to make you acceptable. Yeah. I mean, that's what keeps me coming back or did. Yeah. There's only one way to be acceptable and we've got that way. Here we've got these like new and shiny tools. And so if you're able to do this and here we're going to offer you all this support and all of this kind of stuff. I mean, to place it on the individual, I think, is pretty wrong. Like, it's it really is a societal issue with our culture, diet culture, anti-fatness, all of those sorts of things. To put it on the individual and say, oh, you know, and even with individuals who are trying to be more self-accepting, mm-hmm. I think it bears in mind to think about, no, this really is a societal issue. Mm-hmm. It really is. Like, it's not just about like changing your thinking and doing something differently to be more accepting because it is just all over the place mm-hmm. and it can be really, really difficult. And at the same time, for me, it's comforting knowing that I'm not alone in all of this mm-hmm. and that this is a systemic thing. That's right. Well, you think like the water's poisoned, right? So, how are we yeah. not all poisoned? Like, if it is floating mm-hmm. around everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And I think there's, there's so many of those messages of like, it's just so easy. And it's, and it's just like this one little thing that you have to do. And then you kind of get into it and the diets are so much more complicated. And then when you fail, which is inevitable, it's like, yeah, you, well, you didn't follow the diet. It's impossible right. to follow. You know, it's well, kind I, of just you're set up. I and think. I think it all keeps us trapped in this focus on our bodies and weight. That's yes. right. Right. And I think exactly. that that has been a very helpful, like kernel life kept in mind over the years. It's like, what really matters in my life? Yeah. Right? Like at the end of the day, like when I die or people are talking about me or what do I want to be known mm-hmm. for? Or what do I want to take up my headspace? Like, do I want to be so yeah. preoccupied by what I ate yesterday, what I'm going to eat tomorrow? Right. Did I exercise? Did I not? Like, do I want these things to have that power or is there something like bigger? That's right. <laughs> right. That maybe. I don't think that we're very good at talking about that. I think we focus in on this one thing mm-hmm. yep. to the exclusion of these like other wonderful paths. Yep. And you just like teed me up right there. I mean, that is like one of the things what I was going to talk about next is that's one of the things I've found is are discovered with this journey is how much cognitive space has opened up now that I'm not on a diet or beating myself up for not being on a diet. And maybe you're already here. I think a lot of people may already be here that you've come to a place where thoughts about body size or diet do not take up a lot of space for you. But if not, this might be a nice place to start, right? To just kind of start with that question of how much space does this take up? How much thought space, how much cognitive effort is spent around diet and body size and weight and food? 
And a follow-up question that you might want to consider is exactly what you were saying is, if you were able to clear some of that space, what would you do with it? Is there something that has more value as a genuinely higher priority that you would rather spend that thought time on? Right. Because it is, it's kind of a finite resource. I mean, if we're focused on one thing, we really can't as our first priority. Another thing really can't be our first priority. And so kind of being intentional around that, I think is really, really important. So one question you asked, which I really liked is that kind of question of how will people remember me? when I'm gone and this, I mean, kind of belief that it's probably not going to be about your body size. Mm -hmm. It's going to be about a lot of other things. And I have some other questions here, but what other questions are kind of helpful for you guys to reflect on? What are some things that have helped to kind of realign those priorities for people? Another big one for me, and this is always powerful with clients is I'll have them like bring to mind five people in their life who they love and adore. And then to think about all the reasons why they love and adore them. And not once in like all the years I've been doing this has someone said, because they're thin. Nor has someone said because they get good grades or because they make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Like none of those things come up. And so then I think it's a really nice opportunity to say like, well, why does that matter so much for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think similarly, Lucy, like helping clients focus on the whole person <laughs> and not just body image and right. everything that goes into that, which has been something for me too, to focus in on that if I really focus on a quote unquote problem area, I'm going to find it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I need to, I need to focus on myself as a whole. And so things that I've encouraged clients to do and do it myself is I'll actually write myself like little love notes to myself on my mirror, like one liner kind of things that don't have anything to do with physical appearance, right? Like, so it could be things like I'm strong and I am capable. I'm loving. I'm grateful. Mm. Like all of those sorts of things, I'll put it up and I tell you it's, and I think I've mentioned it before in a previous podcast that it's also a great model for the kids because grace will come up and she will like write a little note, like me too, or, you know, like (laughs) just like very, very sweet things. I keep my kids in mind. Mm -hmm. Like what kind of society do I want them to grow up in? How do I want grace and max both of them? Cause we've had discussions about Mm. body image and size and all of that. And I want them to feel comfortable in their own skin Mm. My sense is that sometimes we get a little tripped up with body image. Sometimes we believe that the goal should be to love our body. Right. And I don't think that that's always very realistic. Like I feel like I'm at peace with my body. I don't want to want to walk around naked. Like there's a (laughs) lot of places that clothes cover nice things and I'm totally okay with that. And so it's just more about like how not to hate your body, maybe how to be more neutral and like to make peace with it. And then Jamie, what you're saying, like, how do I know that I'm so much more than this body and Mm -hmm. focusing on all those other attributes and pieces? That's exactly right. And, and I'll say like, since I've been on this journey, especially over the last few years, it has not all been like smooth, easy sailing. I mean, things happen, hurts happen, thoughts happen. It's hard. I'll stumble. I'll perseverate on things. I'll beat myself up. But these kinds of questions around like value and worth and priorities, they really help me to like come back to myself. And it's almost like we have this camera that gets real focused in on this itty bitty Mm -hmm. piece. And so like, how do we telescope back and get this like wider angle view Yeah, and values and and all those other things give us a bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
And I think part of that too is being surrounded by people, honestly, like Jamie and Lucy. I mean, I've talked about the first time I remember having these thoughts when I was in a swimsuit. The last time I was in a swimsuit was in a hot tub with Jamie and I got in (laughs) not in the most graceful way. And I was like, well, Jamie loves me. It doesn't really matter. Like to your point, that insidious talk, it, it can be so helpful to have those boundaries and have those friendships where you really do feel safe and held and loved for things beyond your body. So as we're kind of wrapping up, we'll think of these pearls of wisdom. My pearl starts with a general like public service announcement, which is to not do what I did, which is to look up on the internet, how to have a swimsuit body. Cause that's kind mm-hmm. of what I did for this research. And I got down this like memes whole, very dark place. Do not recommend like zero out of 10. <laughs> do not do it. Nobody needs that negativity in your life. But I did find a pearl that I really liked. And it was this meme that said steps to having a swimsuit ready body. Step one, have a body. Step two, put on a swimsuit. And I just love that. Love that energy. So that's my pearl of wisdom is if you're ready to have a swimsuit ready body, put on a swimsuit. One of the things as I'm getting older is I'm specifically trying to put myself in situations that kind of challenge the notion of who is able to do what. Hmm. And so like doing things like, you know, I've gotten more into yoga over this past year. Part of it's because of this program that I've been doing embodied leadership program, but just kind of challenging the notion of like what all I'm capable of doing. Am I looking to do these things perfectly? But no, like I'm doing yoga. I've sent y'all, I usually I don't know. Once every so often I get a wild hair and then I send like, hey, let's try this activity. Let's do this activity. Let's do this activity. I just Jamie's going to have us axe throwing and blowing glass. <laughs> and what else? Like escaping from rooms. Escaping yes. from rooms. Bungee exercise. There's just like a whole list of things like, all right, let's let's try these things and l- let's see what I can do. And let's just be curious about mm-hmm. it. So I feel like the more that I put myself in those situations, the more it helps me see myself in a much broader drone Mm. view kind of light. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I think it's this idea that diet culture is woven in and we're often not even aware of it. And so how do we start to get clear on if, and if you haven't heard that, that phrase diet culture or the phrase anti-diet, like look that up and kind of get an understanding of what is this and gosh, start to notice all the ways that diet culture shows up in your life, be it advertisements, Mm -hmm. be it conversations, and how can we intentionally kind of start to notice it and then shift away from it and challenge it. So that is like an invitation to be a bit of an advocate in your life. Um, Yeah. So I think that's going to do it for us today. Do you want to Lucy, tell us what we're going to Yeah, next, next time we're going to talk about what so. So we are going to share a reading, this wonderful reading called What So, and you'll have an opportunity to kind of sit with it and reflect on it, and then we'll discuss it. So we hope you'll join us then. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Subscribe to Inspiration from the Couch wherever you access your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. Visit us on our website at inspirationfromthecouch.com. dot com.